Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Hello, my sweet summer children. I'm back with the juice to get you through the long night. In today's episode of Obsidian Nights, where we go through A Song of Ice and Fire chapter by chapter, I have one of my good pals, my good friends, back on, Justin Thomas from Top Shelf Fandom. Hey, Justin, how you doing? Not bad. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So today, we're going to be talking about Catelyn 4. I wanted to make a really quick announcement that starting this Sunday, August the 30th, I will be doing live streams on my channel at 2 p.m. They will be House of the Dragon focused, Winds of Winter, and they will be produced by Top Shelf Fandom. And I can't be more excited for it because you are the leading source of a Son of Ice and Fire proper knowledge. And I, I always have such great off-air conversations. And I hope to have a on-air great conversation right here with you about it. And I think that we're really going to present a, a great visual and change up the game a little bit and maybe make the stakes a little bit higher for what it takes to have a professional product displayed to people. And who better than Gray Area uh, to be leading <laughs> on it here so i can't wait for that juice but uh, yeah catlin everybody's favorite catlin in a song <laughs> everybody's fire, everybody's right? favorite karen everyone's favorite karen of westeros not my favorite at all mm, not no. is she your favorite no well she's the favorite catlin i can't think of another catlin at the time uh so she's the worst and the best yeah like the thing about catlin is you can not like catlin as a person like i think we've talked about that on a few other catlin chapters like you cannot like her but her chapters though a lot of them are like powerhouse chapters that like a lot of stuff is going on like rob's whole pov is in catlin Mm -hmm. in catlin's po like rob's pov rob's whole perspective is in catlin's pov um stannis renly like you get all of this Red well, Wedding, Lysa, the Eerie, like all through Catelyn. Well, we have this ongoing narrative about what it means to follow somebody in the war. And, and, and a big misconception, and I've spoken about this before, is war be, or George R. R. Martin being anti-war. Of course, he's anti-war in the sense of he doesn't think that you should always go to war, but he is not a straight pacifist. Okay. So he, is, he believes that certain wars, he's spoken about uh, World War II as being something he thought was a righteous war. If that was Vietnam the war in which he was called to duty for and he uh, served in a different way. He, he, he served for the offices, I believe in Canada somewhere, but nonetheless, we have Catelyn. She is so important to us and we don't like her for a lot of reasons. And we'll get into it here, but because she experiences the most change and the most, I would say conflict within her perspective, which I think is very important. And we see this here in this chapter. So Catelyn is somebody that, yes, we really, across the board, nobody's a huge fan of Catelyn. And I will try to voice some reasonable reasons to accept her and think, hey, 
least let's have some empathy for it. But I, I like this chapter. I think that we are introduced into the whole King's Landing politicking with Barris yes. and Littlefinger and, and a lot of things that you're going to voice mm-hmm. really well. So Catelyn's not the best person, but she might be the best perspective. Yeah, she is, I would say, one of the best POV chapters. And between her and Davos... Devils is really good, but I mean, Kat is up there because she just has so much stuff going on. So, yeah. So basically, in the beginning of this chapter, we're like, we don't have to go through like word for word what's going on, but I'll just like summarize because we don't need to go through like Sir Roderick vomiting and being seasick and shit. Can I touch on that though? Can I yes. actually touch on that? There yes. is an aspect of masculinity that is this uh, played in this actual chapter. Meaning we are looking at somebody as, are they masculine? And he apologizes to Catelyn, right? Because he has to even shave his whiskers, his legendary whiskers, because he is so seasick. And they have taken the Storm Dancer, I believe yes. is, it's a Tyroshi ship um, that is a, has a Toroshi. So we're introduced this a little bit of uh, world building by George as well, which is important. But I actually do think that him vomiting over the edge, it's not for nothing. It's to show that he wants to be this valiant hero, this interpretation or depiction of what knighthood is, right? Okay. Or what, what a chivalric man is. And he, he feels a little bit weak, right? Like, because he goes, I'm sorry, my lady. Like, he feels ashamed of himself because he should be strong in all aspects. And I see a subversion of this masculinity uh, throughout mm-hmm. the story, right? Like, this is a, a very skilled yeah. fighter, but he's still getting seasick. Hey, he, he's a human being. Yeah, like toxic masculinity is a big thing in A Song of Ice and Fire. I think George did that on purpose. Like make like call Drogo, for instance. Like there's this whole thing where you're Don't like, clean my wounds. <laughs> yeah, like did Miri Mazdor really poison him or was he just so such a toxic man? that he just didn't listen to her because he didn't listen to anything that she said, like all of the instructions that she gave him, like don't drink, don't do this. Like he did all of that shit that he, he did exactly the opposite of what she told him to do. So it's like, did she really poison you or did you die because you didn't follow fucking directions? You're in the medical field, right? So if you sent somebody home and with a list of instructions and they broke their cast off, poured salt in their wounds and any other toxic <laughs> thing, and then they came back and said, Gray's a witch. I mean, you'd be like, well, I mean, just your inadequacies and your, I mean, obviously you're incompetent. You're an yeah. inept person. Yeah. So I think that's important to take. Yes. Yeah, it does come up a lot. Like the, t- like even with Robert, like part of Robert Baratheon um, and his beef with Rhaegar was about, it wasn't really about, he couldn't have loved Liana. You know what I mean? Because he didn't really know her like that. Mm-hmm. And Ned even says like, you you knew the beauty of her, but you didn't know the iron underneath or something like that. Some something like to that effect. And it's like it wasn't really that the fact that he was so madly in love with her that he started this war. It was more so that another man took what he deemed was his and it's just toxic. Yeah, I think it's more in this is a continuing, you know, um, I would say narrative throughout the story is the loving of the idea of something. Roderick loves the idea of this masculine protector. Yeah. Robert loves this idea of this very powerful man with a lady of high birth, right? Noble yeah. birth. So it's all this deception of what lays under. So Ned, what he speaks to is true. You didn't know her. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, Sir Roderick, like in the opposite of toxic masculinity is that Catelyn, like in the opposite of Sir Roderick, like Catelyn is very courteous. She's very ladylike. Like even though, um, even though Sir Roderick is like, you know, I'm sorry, my lady, like, I'm sorry, I was a wimp and I got seasick and I'm throwing up all over the place. But, and she's like, well, you know, you got me here and that's all that matters. And she gave each one of the oars, the, the oarmen, I think it was 60 oarmen, she gave mm-hmm. each one of them a silver dragon. Like, she didn't have to do any of that, but it's all a part of like her ladyship. Her courtesy and her candor is noted in this. Yes. It is noted. And we'd have to think, I guess the best uh, juxtaposition would be Cersei, correct? Like how would Cersei have treated Sir Roderick as a hand? It's pretty much how do you treat the help, yeah. right? If you have help, how do you treat them? Having help, to be clear, for my sake, <laughs> is not good. Uh, but yeah, how would you treat them? And it seems like Catelyn's pretty... Uh, she's pretty understanding of their plight and she's pretty understanding of their situation because it's noted highly in this episode Mm -hmm. or this chapter in which she is very um gracious yeah she is and i mean she was raised like that and that's basically how ladies are raised in westeros like even with cersei like cersei is a bitch but at the end of the day cersei has a lot of false courtesies about her Mm -hmm. um like she does things <laughs> like this one chapter like that Cersei's in she's sitting on the throne for Tommen and she is I think the Iron Bank has came and they want to talk to Cersei and he's like I've been here six days and she was like well wait a seventh seven is sacred to our gods <laughs> like, like it's so she's being courteous but she's being a bitch at the same time and Catelyn isn't really like that like she's a bitch to john of course or like other people but when she's dealing with the help or like maester lewin or sir Roderick or the oarsman like she's kind of yeah, she's courteous well, yeah, and I think that this speaks to, you know, a lot of her issues with Catelyn is that b- between her and Cersei, Cersei, it's clear when she's putting on a mask, right? Yeah. Just playing the game, which game rec- recognized game, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, good for her. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> Catelyn, it's a little bit of a conflict for us as a reader because we know she has treated this child. We just cannot accept. Like, we hate how she treated John. Yeah. At the same time, we do look at her plight if you can and we see a little bit of i i I would say there's rightful empathy for catelyn as a character rob was born in river run upon my research on this chapter i did not remember that admittedly that rob was literally born in river run and she brought him to winterfell and john was already there so we have to look at love and duty a ongoing and i I promise i want to get into this but a little bit of a cane narrative is uh part of the philosophy of the show is can you have love without duty are you obligated to your duty are you obligated by some moral compass and she comes back to somebody that is said to be a bastard son of the man in which she is married. And she's come from the Riverlands and she has brought the heir. So also look at it as if you brought your son or your daughter that was going to be CEO of a company, right? If they're first born. So there's this obligation of duty as well within that of like, that's also a threat. So like, there's a lot of things. And I think it's just irre- 
we just cannot really deal with the fact and rightfully so she was you know aggressive towards john because we say to be aggressive towards a child is you have to be a bitch yeah right like so that does trump it i'm not saying like because i don't like catlin i just straight up don't but like i tried to find reasons i'm like oh man she did she had all these things from from the south that she you know left behind and ned did a few things for her but at the same time man it's like it, I think a part of why I don't like her, like, to be honest, like, I've already talked about the personal reasons on the um, John 2 podcast, John 1, John 2. Mm-hmm. I've already talked about, like, the personal reasons on the John 2 episode. But besides that, it's like, so, yeah, characters like Jamie, Jamie pushed a child out the window. It is, like, I can like Jamie because so many people hate him anyway but catlin is a well-loved character by a a lot of people inside the story she's very well liked right right so it's like she does all these things and she gets away with it so that's why i don't like her like if she had to answer for the things that she's done and she had to pay like a price like jamie like jamie lost his hand if she had to pay these prices then yeah i would be you know probably i would probably like her more because i like her and i dislike her i don't understand her when it comes to john yeah and it's just because me as a woman i just can't relate to that like as a woman like if i'm gonna stay in a relationship with a man that had a baby outside of my marriage then i'm gonna love that baby but if i'm not then I would leave. And I guess it's kind of like, well, I guess you can't really apply like modern day conventions. Yeah, to this story. But because I don't know if she had a choice to leave, but like I, if I didn't have a choice to leave, then I would have to accept the child. I could treat my husband like shit, but I wouldn't treat the child like shit. You know what I mean? Because he's, he is a victim in this. He is not, he is blameless. Like that is why we have so much, you know, angst towards Catelyn within all of these chapters is that we can't understand why the issue isn't with Ned. Yeah. She is so true to Ned, but we have to look at moral duty and love and, and stuff like that. And it is a contemporary, you know, take on a time in which we do not live. This is somewhat the 12th and 13th century but at the same time yeah i think that with every good character we can find some empathetic uh perspective of i don't think we're necessarily meant to be in love with catlett to be honest i think that yeah we see the dynamic we're not stupid it's not like us that don't like catlett or like oh we're just these evil people like oh because great in myself involved like i would not be happy with with that situation what what whatsoever but yeah and then and then Ned also needs to, like, Ned bears responsibility as well because he allowed that to happen. So, like, there's a lot of different parts, you know? Oh, there's a lot of moving parts. And what I find interesting about this, besides the fact that we, and this would be very much so your prowess, <laughs> this is Brand's vision for the first time because he sees them going past, is it the brick? Yeah. Okay. Can you talk like because we get like kind of confirmation of what this kid is seeing? Because I try to take well, myself out seeing, of these. He's seeing real time events. So yeah. what he's seeing is like real time events. It's like some kind of weird, like weirwood that he spread all over the world at one time, kind of on some different plane. 
than everyone else. So she's on the boat. She's going to King's Landing. She has the dagger. She's clutching it. Like she's keeps checking her pocket to see if it's there. And I get it, but I don't. Okay. So like, why leave your kids? Like family duty honor. Littlefinger even tells her this, like her words are family duty honor. Mm -hmm. So what she should be doing is staying in Winterfell, like her husband told her, with her children. She has a three-year-old child. She's a three-year-old child, and, and then she has a deathly ill son. Yeah. So even though someone tried to kill your child, you don't need to go to King's Landing to go tell Ned. Like, what the fuck is going to happen if you do? You know what I mean? Like, what's going to... You send a letter and send a messenger. Like what's the big reason that you need to abandon your home and your children to go tell Ned, look, someone tried to kill Bran with this dagger. Because I, and I think that's where the juxtaposition comes in and where the contradiction comes in. And this is really good storytelling because we value Arya, right? For the fact of she is a take action type of gal. She's the not, she's the anti Sansa, right? But then we despise Catelyn for leaving her children because she's taking action and saying no listen shit ain't right i guess we would probably like it if any of her actions panned out for anything good exactly like 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 let's try a little bit we do have the luxury of knowing what is gonna happen captain hindsight yeah, yeah we have that so like if anything panned out good then yeah we would we would love Ned. We'd love everything, but yeah. it doesn't. So, but I can see her uh, motivation. We get a very good insight into King's Landing here, and I had forgotten a lot of this. Admittedly, you're much more versed in, in the books than I am, but I had forgotten like how important it was that the city guard escorts them right yeah. from Storm Dancer on. And and let's remember just that we have we have world building within because she talks about if she would have went with a different like boat that it would have been slower. Yeah. Right. Like so. Like there's world building. So your old a jet ton of world building. Yeah. So it's really injected in here and beautifully so. Like it's like oh, there's this, this monologue within Catelyn saying, "Man, if I would have, it's pretty much if I would have flown southwest, I wouldn't have been there without a stop in Phoenix." Blah blah blah. Yeah. I mean, well, I I could tell you like when I first read it. Um, well, not when I, I can't tell you what I felt when I first read it, but <laughs> this time rereading it, the, like the way she describes this city, um, it reminded me of the Accursed Kings books. So I don't know if you've ever read them. A lot of people haven't read them, but they are like one of George's influences for um, the series and they call it the original Game of Thrones. It's not a magical book the novels are about french monarchies but when i was reading the novels i had noticed how like um the knights templar and jack and hagar were like Mm -hmm. inspired by the two but also like the city names like street of silk street of steel like that kind of thing that George has built with King's Landing was also in Accursed Kings in the novels. So like, I like that, like having that familiar uh, familiarity. Oh, that's awesome because <laughs> I've not heard of this series and I'm Wikipedia it people as we speak. <laughs> no, but it's, this is awesome because I'm looking into this because what we have here is we have a, we all know what Son of Ice and Fire really embodies and embraces a chivalric way, right? Yeah. That was much so the French way. Not 
the the Anglo-Saxon way, people. So this is, uh, yeah, it says right here on the front page of Wikipedia, which I can see American author George R. R. Martin called the Cursed Kings original Game of Thrones. Wow. So yeah, no, I mean, because all attorneys and everything like that, that follows French chivalric ways. Yeah. Not not English. So I did like like that about the chapter. And then we get like introductions to major characters that like Varys, Littlefinger. And then this part irritates me so bad about Catelyn is that right before we meet Littlefinger, like she goes back in her thoughts and is thinking about Brandon Stark, her ex-fiance, almost killing him Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like I had begged brandon to spare peter's life he let him off with a scar afterward my father sent him away i have not seen him since so we have like she in like a previous ned chapter i think or a catlin chapter i think it was catlin two she had this talk with ned where she's like you know you don't know robert anymore he's not the same man and i'm like well bitch use your own advice when it comes to Littlefinger. Well, here's what I'll say about this. And we see a a semblance of this in the show, right? Right. Like we see that Ned overpowers um, Littlefinger once he sees him finally and says, you're a funny little man. I actually think it's a little bit more aggressive in this chapter, but I think that this just showcases that Catelyn doesn't see, because we have to understand why Catelyn, Catelyn believes or trusts Littlefinger is because she doesn't see him as a threat and that's part of his ploy. He has tried to go blade for blade with a Stark. He has tried to do that. Now he is setting up what we now know to be Lannisters against Starks, right? Okay. And he, she doesn't see... This is a foolish little man. Yes, she because she says he's clever, but he's not wise. So she considers Ned to be wise, but Ned essentially is just brawn, Right. He is stronger. She's seen brawn beat brain time and time again in her life. So I think it's an important aspect of this chapter that she remembers what happened with Brandon. So we can better understand later on why she trusted such a jackal, right? Yeah. This hyena, this this literal jackal. Like this guy is such a shyster. Like he might as well have a toothpick in his mouth and flip it a nickel in the corner. Well, and it's it's because like I don't know it's because she's stupid, but it's because like a a big part of it is because like she has these values and Ned Stark has these values and they project those values onto other people that don't have them. Yeah. And they don't know that. But I think it's dumb because like I never project my like <laughs> do you project your values onto other people? I just always assume the worst about everything. I do. I do. I, I, I'm always saying that I'm very surprised if somebody's a good person because that is the exception. But this does kind of get into this Catanian ethics. And like I said, I want to talk about before about love versus duty and that you actually can't have love without a moral responsibility because it will all be subjective. And that she holds people to her standards. So she is a noble, right? She is Holster's eldest daughter. There was two sons, I believe, that died before um, but also remember that her emotional disconnect from her father, in all fairness, uh, you know, she has a sympathetic plight, was always transferred over to Brendan Tully. Littlefinger's love for her was rejected both emotionally and physically through Brendan, but also Littlefinger thought he had sex with Catelyn, 
and yeah. then was brought to the by the same person that Catelyn used to pretty much you know spill her tea to Brendan Tilly the mm-hmm. Blackfish. He was like he's always disposing of her emotional like excess, right? Like her like what she's just putting away because like like you said, she holds everything to the standard that's not applicable, right? Yeah. Like they like Littlefinger should know his place because Edmure is the one that gave him that title. Mm-hmm. Like he should just know his place, right? And we shouldn't project. But that's, she's living in this falsehood because the times are changing. This is all about a systematic change, this whole story. So Littlefinger has risen quite prominently within this system that she is trying to accordingly adhere to, right? Like she's like, oh, he shouldn't be able to do all this because first off, he got his ass beat, which he did, (laughs) and he would again. But this isn't about getting an ass beating. This is about things are changing. It's the sound of ice and fire. So like we, we understand why she is dismissive of his capabilities, I guess. She says that she doesn't trust him, though. Like, mm-hmm. she she says that, but then, like, she does at the same time. And I, one interesting thing was this quote. Um, she's basically asking him, like, you know, how does Varys know I'm here? And why would he pick you to be the person to come and get me? And he was like, I was the obvious. Like, he's saying, like, Stannis is gone. Barrison Selmy and Renly rode north, and he was like, I was the obvious choice. I was ever a friend to your sister, Lysa. Varys knows that. And then she starts to say, does Varys know about... And then he cuts her off and said, Lord Varys knows everything except why you are here. Yes. So what is she asking him, does Lord Varys know about? Well, because she is confused about why she is so known to be there other than her, her I would say veiled concern for ned of course she is concerned for ned but the real reason she is there is because she has an agenda to share information more than a concern right she's there to inform so she wants to know so what Littlefinger is doing is he's playing a useful role within her life to show her his worth he's saying Varys knows this Mm -hmm. like he's giving spilling tea essentially you know about Varys. so like but what was she about to ask him though like, he cuts it off because he doesn't because he doesn't know is what i take from that like he doesn't know how Barris because we all know i was like thinking now. i was about to think like did she really fuck him little finger yeah like I, could I she think- have really because what was she gonna say does does Varys know about us and then she was like he was like Varys knows everything like cut, he cut her off real quick I think there's a sentiment of that, but it's it's not as sexual as that. I think it's more of an intimate thing, like of like this very like because this is still a friend. This is somebody yeah. she, she's never met, Varys, right? Yeah. And that he is um, given to her, and he's presented to her and described by her. Mm-hmm. I should say described, not given, uh, in a very feminine way, right? A soft perfume touch. So what she looks at as strength and what prevails, because for all intents and purposes, what has prevailed in Catelyn's life, strength. Mm-hmm. right brawn so this is this perfumed so like he comes upon in this feminine way which is a bit, like you spoke about earlier toxic masculinity is mm-hmm. is running the game here it's the gambit so he he, he comes upon like the spider does you know creeps and he, he gets his way in there so little finger i think a little bit shows his hand i don't know what she's asking there but she's definitely diving to see like how honest are you being with me? Because listen, yeah. you had these people send these people for me. You you had this premonition about me, supposedly. Like, I mean, she knew that he knew something like right away. So he's got spies somewhere. So how honest are you being with me? Are you working with me? And he's so he kind of just like 
gives Varys as his example of loyalty. Right. So he cuts her off because he doesn't know the answer to that. Because he doesn't, I don't think he knows about the knife. I think that's the big question right here. Yeah, it is. They don't really know why she's there. I mean, Varys knows about the knife. But Littlefinger doesn't. But he doesn't. Right. And a, a big part of, like, Littlefinger, Catelyn and Littlefinger's relationship is Littlefinger basically comes up with the story, fabricates the story about where the knife actually came from. And she never questions the story. Like, she never questions it. And we as readers know by this point, because of our Tyrion POVs, correct? That this, yes. This is for sure. So Not we know. False. So we yeah. have the benefit of knowing what she doesn't know. But at the same time, she is a politically Southern ambition type of woman. So like at the same time, you have to question these things. Like these are these are things that you would question. You would not just take this and say, you know, okay, he said it's this person's. It has to be this person's. Yeah. After that's... he just told you, he just told you that Barris knows everything. And then Barris doesn't know whose knife this is checkmate on Varys right there bam right there on little finger though like that is the way to play it because that is what you're dealing with perfectly put because she's like okay so you're my insight into the city because I'm already uncomfortable that you called me to your brothel right you know like I mean not the best entrance but it, oh I'm here because I already know all this and I'm here to protect you and this person knows everything and this person that you just said is the smartest person in the world just said like if somebody said, oh, Justin's the smartest person in the world. And, the, you know, or I said, this person knows. And they said, Justin's stupid. You're going to be like, oh, shit. Like, I'm like, oh, that backfired. Like with, with yeah. Uh-oh. Like, yeah, like she doesn't even like process it. And I think part of it is just out like out of pure desperation to know like who tried to kill her son. That she doesn't even like she more desperately wants an answer no matter if the answer is right or wrong or matter, no matter if she could take the time, like if she could take the time to process what's going on, but she doesn't, everything happens so fast and fluid and she's going back home and then she bumps into Tyrion. So it's like, she doesn't really have time to process everything. When, she's reactionary. Yeah. She's very reactionary when it comes to her kids. Also, I wanted to talk about Varys for a minute because the way that Varys is described, his first description is the man who stepped through the door was plump, perfumed, powdered, and hairless as an egg. Now, a lot of people think the perfumed seneschal that Quaithe warned Daenerys about is actually, well, a lot of people think it's it's the green grace in marine, but I actually think that it is the Varys. Well, there's a lot of like symbolism as always with this. He also cuts his finger on this and he spills blood, right? And the little bit we know about Varys at this point is he's in league with Illyrio and we'll learn more to go. So if you have a Blackfire like conspiracy, like this leads to that. Like yeah. symbolism in there shows that Varys has an agenda because not only does he know more than Littlefinger, but for some reason there's a symbolic shedding of blood in this chapter and Daener um, Varys is totally a black fire or some kind he has Targaryen lineage he was hairless as an egg what other person do you know in a song of ice and fire universe that is as hairless as an egg let me get my Duncan egg now yeah Duncan egg Aegon aka egg but not only just that like 
his name, Varys, it sounds like Daenerys, Viserys, like all of those names end in Eris. And he's supposedly from Mir and he shaves his head bald and everyone is talking about like there's definitely like some kind of Blackfire thing going on with young Griff. So of course, if Varys is helping orchestrate that, then he has something to do with that like he has a motivation for it and a lot of people will say well no he's motivated because he wants the good of the realm he wants the no if he wanted the realm to be good and then he would have let Rhaegar take power at Kevin Kevin wouldn't be killed Uh, I have a whole litany of oh yeah Kevin Uh, Lannister I I don't want to get into it because that's a different (laughs) stream that I was supposed to do but I studied up on it and trust me yeah not not true I don't think he's a black bar either to be fair I think this is uh like George leading us. I mean, I think that it, all the evidence could be is garden, there. like gardening it. Like, yeah. And he does. He hasn't even decided yet because I feel like that's the case with a lot of things. Absolutely. Like he hasn't. He plants all these seeds and then he just waters the one. Yeah, and like which one even, sprouts within yeah. him? Yeah, I agree. Like I, I don't think it's impossible. I think that like his reasons are within that construct but yeah this shedding of blood you don't have this guy with this fragile hand which i guess is a little bit premeditated right there like well, his <laughs> hands are soft i guess he might but i mean he's a careful man right mm-hmm. and then he cuts his finger on this knife yeah why is there's like you don't trust me i i write something every week it's terrible but uh, at the same <laughs> time you don't write it for no reasons so, like he's talking it's not like i guess i'll have this fellow cut his finger no it's for a reason so whether it's the lead is down uh endless trail i don't know i i would suspect that at this point but yeah there's definite symbolism for it and that's still meaningful like i said it's still very meaningful mm-hmm. why would you put that in if, if you didn't want people to at least think about it which just adds layers to the story but catlin as well we see her and all she's been shown is brawn over brains and so she thinks oh it'll be fine he's no risk so it's the perfect little you know antagonist for her little finger so i think at the same time i'm not a fan of catlin because of the john thing and also because of these mistakes that we have we have the benefit of hindsight on but at the same time during this chapter we are introduced into the chess masters yeah that's the two the two chess masters are definitely little finger and bears and like uh, just real quick to talk about like game of thrones the tv show i was so mad that we didn't get to see them in like this final face-off like Littlefinger and Sansa's corner and Varys and Daenerys's corner like facing off against each other like it's like a boxer that doesn't answer the bell yeah that's what it is one guy just keeps sitting it was such a missed opportunity because those are those are two of the best players in the Game of Thrones one is for the people, supposedly. We Not. Embarrass, but but, but <laughs> Not. supposedly. But but this is what we could do. And then one is for their own personal, um, you know, acceleration or benefit. And this is the ideals behind them. And you should have them face off. This is literally like these boxers didn't answer the, the 12th round. And yeah. It's such a missed opportunity. I don't agree with like the characterization of them. I think there's deeper layers, but at the same time, you're comp- I, I want it. I want that fight. But I think that, you know, introducing them together in a chapter kind of puts you there where like, you know, it's they're the same. You know what I mean? They're the same kind of person. Their motivations are similar. 
and here, meet them together and you guys decide who's the good one, who's the bad one, or are they both equally fucked up? In the dynamic to think about that because Catelyn is going to be uh, have this predisposition towards, you know, Littlefinger in this uh, non-acceptance of his um, masculinity or prowess, whatever you want to call it. I mean, like she doesn't think he's a threat, but you get to see the game played with Catelyn. This is why Catelyn's a constant perspective. I think she has almost does she have the most even with Lady Stoneheart POVs? Um, she has a lot. I don't know a if lot. she has the most. But but she has I think she's Daenerys up there. or John or Tyrion. I think Tyrion has the most. But not the most. What I'm saying is she's in the top five, I think. Yeah, she is. So even we, being gone two books. <laughs> exactly. So let's look at the opportunity within that. So what the opportunity here is the game is being played in front of us. And you can't play the game from Varys's POV. You can't do it from Littlefinger. That's why those don't exist. Yeah, you got to play it from her. Yeah, that you have to play it from the uh, little lamb that's going oh. to slaughter. But I mean, I love that they're introduced together. And I love that Catelyn is so uh, weary, I would say, of Varys. Like, he makes her so uneasy. So she says, Varys was lord of nothing but the spider web, the master of nothing but whispers. The eunuch spread his soft hands. One more than that, I hope, sweet lady. I have great esteem for your husband, our new hand, and I know we do both love King Robert. Yes, she was forced to say, for a certainty. Never has a king been so loved as our Robert, quipped Littlefinger. He smiled slyly, at least in Lord Varys's hearing. And then she, like, goes on to say like that she trusts she doesn't trust Littlefinger and she doesn't trust Varys even more when it's really she shouldn't trust either one of them but also again she it's almost like there's that third party she is fond of Littlefinger from childhood uh even with obviously you know she never respected him there's like this anticipation pretty much nothing from he, he him. He wasn't yeah, he wasn't good enough threat. for her and he but he wasn't like in childhood, he wasn't good enough for her like she saw him make a claim. Like she saw him make a move and this is where he made the decision to never make that mistake again. He made that move against Brandon, right? Mm-hmm. So she looks at him and she's like if this fool is going to like, you know, be doing something shady, she knows. She has an experience with that. She knows how he would go about it in her mind, meaning he's going to just go right against it, right? Because he had that brawn back then, that child mentality, I guess, you know, that aggressiveness. He didn't have that. It's always he's clever, but he's wise is what she says. So she figures if she if now she doesn't trust Varys, but I think because she doesn't trust Varys, maybe it's too convoluted my thoughts but at the same time, I think it's because she thinks that Varys is putting on a show for Littlefinger as well, which he is. Of course. So, like, it comes from her. It's not so much of a distrust of Littlefinger. It's like, oh, well, this whole charade doesn't mean much because it's put on for an audience. Yeah. That's what I take from it. And then, like, when the chapter, he basically ends the chapter by telling her that it was Tyrion and the blade originally belonged to him. And he bet that Jamie Lannister would unhorse Sir Loris Tyrell. Mm hmm. And that's how he, and he lost the blade to Tyrion. So 
discredited all across the board unless you want to yeah. go off of season eight in elect of Tyrion. uh i mean pretty stupid if, yeah if so we know case. as the reader that it wasn't Tyrion, and then Tyrion later will tell her like you know i don't bet against my family also i don't like bet like something that's symbolic to me and like inherently traced to me in a gamble that i'm going to use in some type of gambit yeah down the line because i'm just not straight stupid uh, but yeah, like we know not to trust, but I think a little bit is revealed about the past, but also like Ned's like, you know, situation with her. So I think this is a valuable chapter and it's very enticing. There's world building, but also, I mean, like for you theory people, like we talked in the last podcast I w- did with you, like that was like the, that was like the budding of so many theories, right? Yeah. Like, um, but I think this one really, uh, has Varys's, I'd say Blackfire theory that sprouts from this mm-hmm. and i would say the value in this as well and i mean please agree because you're the one that knows more is is also though the the whole aspect of brand's visions yeah Brand's it's only just vision. a little mention though but it, it's there yeah but see that's the thing like that's so interesting about a song of ice and fire is that each chapter kind of begins and ends on like this cliffhanger but this the previous chapter is still tied into it so like we get Bran seeing Catelyn in his coma dream and then in this chapter we get Catelyn being in the position she was in Bran's coma dream and then the next chapter and that chapter this chapter ends with Tyrion Lannister being named as the one that killed uh, mm-hmm. or that that tried to that he was named as the one whose knife it is that tried to have Bran killed and then we know and Catelyn should know that Tyrion is not an idiot and like her first intuition was what kind of idiot you know would arm a bl- uh, arm a person with their own dagger like it makes or that's Tyrion's intuition sorry backtrack nope. that but the next chapter is it goes into Tyrion at the wall with John. And that's what a lot of people say, and, and even George has said this, uh, that a Game of Thrones, meaning a Son of Ice and Fire, was the most unadaptable adapted series. This is where it's my you know, insight as somebody that enjoys screenwriting and the, the formulaic way of screenwriting. This is what you just described perfectly as an act break, right? Of anticipation left, and a I, cliffhanger. Definitely, an act yeah. break. His POVs work very, very well for that. And George was the screenwriter. He worked for Beauty and the Beast. He worked for uh, Twilight Zone and uh, Max uh, Headburn, whatever that was. Uh, but yeah, though he had that experience and he wrote this, and uh, it definitely has that that visual appeal to it, or at least that cadence, meaning like the rhythm to it. Yeah. But w- the the thing I'd say about Catelyn is, I think by the end of the next chapter, and that'll be with somebody else. They'll speak much more proficiently on it she oh pretty God, much knows but she knows right like that by the by the time Liza's call she wants to go against it yeah right like Never. she buy this like she buys it for the moment because she buys into the like the formulaic way in which they yeah work. but she doesn't learn from it and that that's what i talk about with a lot of different characters like most of the young characters they learn from their mistakes like they make these big mistakes and then they learn from them. They change, they grow. It's like a coming of an age type of situation that's going on with all of the characters. But then with like Sansa, I don't like for me personally, being a docile woman is not strength. 
like in my own life. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I, I wouldn't look at a, a woman that is being docile, like, oh, she's a weak bitch. I wouldn't be like that. But at the same time for me and what I relate to, I couldn't be like that. So when people say, oh, like Sansa is the most realistic woman of the real world, I'm like, bitch, no. Why? Because it, why isn't Daenerys more realistic mm-hmm. as, a, as a, like a compassionate person that's still going to do what she has to do? No, I mean, I guess maybe people don't relate to her because she has dragons. And she's like royalty. So I get it. But at the same time, it's like the inner thoughts of her are oh. present in a lot of young women. Absolutely. And I agree with you on that Danny aspect. So here's the thing is that first off, as a woman in contemporary times, you will not be able to relate in, in, in that show's progress to a, a woman depicted in feudalistic times. Right. As a yeah. man should not be able to relate. If I relate to Jamie Lannister, I'm fucked. Uh, but you know what I mean? And I love Jamie. But you can relate to aspects of Jamie Lannister. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Like you, can, you could relate. Like, I don't know what you can personally relate to. But even if you didn't push a kid out the window and you, you're not like some. I can relate fucking, to people not appreciating me. Right. I, not being appreciated. Um, you could relate to like. His going against inner the grain. Struggle, his inner yep. struggles. Going against the grain. Like there are different character aspects of different people. Like I can relate to Sansa's want for like a a happy ever ending story like everyone well not everyone not gonna like over like I want that like I want a Prince Charming most Mm -hmm. young girls do most women want a Prince Charming or a Princess Charming but you want to be happy is what that means you want to be happy so I can relate to that but I can't relate to the foolishness like I would never like sell my dad out or my mm. sister out to get this happiness. You know what I mean? So this is the the what I was going at is that Danny goes against the grain much more. So if you look at like who went outside of the construct of the time more, you would say Danny, and I I, I would say I guess not you. Uh, I won't make a blanket statement. I will say <laughs> Danny fights against it, but also Danny was raised outside of the construct, meaning she has been said to have this royal lineage, right? She's yeah. been raised with that. Now, Sansa's lived within the construct, meaning she's got to upkeep the status quo. A happy Sansa means a happy realm. That's yeah. what she's been taught. A happy Danny means a happy realm. The way in which that happiness and that um, success happens is differently. One, Sansa is the status quo, so we tend to dislike her more because the status quo, as we know, is not great. We tend to like Danny better because she's going outside of the box because we get to see through Sansa what the status quo is, which is what? Not ideal, right? Like, yeah, like, 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 like lushing up to Joffrey and, and all this, like, lovey dovey with people that are terrible. So, we, we definitely see more strength within Danny and we see her as breaking more boundaries. But still, if you look at it in a certain moral construct, you would say that Danny actually is still following a pattern i'm not dismissing anything or taking anything away from her but we she has an outsider's view from the get-go she's not an insider sansa is trying because in her mind in what she's been taught if she marries joffrey everybody's gonna be happy so we have all these people on their own personal arcs and if you can isolate them here's the thing though you shouldn't feel shame for for hating on catelyn yeah you shouldn't ship her yeah why would you character that you don't like 
you don't like you just don't like them like that's fine and any character that you do like if someone else doesn't like them it's fine like it it doesn't in like your feelings are valid about a character my feelings are valid. like everybody has very personal reasons why they relate to characters and why they don't so like emotions are a fact yeah emotion especially when you're passionate about a story like Mm -hmm. okay like if if i'm just watching like I don't know, some random show on TV, I, I might not care about the characters because I care about it so much. And it's a big part of, you know, like what I do as far as um, YouTube, I'm passionate about it mm-hmm. and, my, and it comes through. And, and you were always passionate about it because it's a story that connected to you. I don't give a shit about the King of Queens. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, it is what it is. It's a decent sitcom. Don't care for it that much. Don't care if he's the King of Queens. I know he's not He's the garbage man or UPS, whatever it is. It speaks to George's uh, worth. And, it, and you shouldn't shit on other people or other characters because Sansa, if you isolate it, you will see the virtue in her ways. Catelyn, you will. But that doesn't mean that what you feel is on. Just me. He didn't write these people to be all chummy. It wasn't like everybody like these guys. Let me put them in. No, right. it was like, let's make some dynamic layered characters and people are going to have debates about, but we'll be on the internet. We'll have podcasts. It's all about that actual emotion that seeps through. So it's like, of course, we're pissed off at Sansa. Would we be as pissed if we didn't see a Danny? And would we be as enthralled with Danny if we didn't see a Sansa? You got to see how they work <laughs> off of each other as well. We don't appreciate these strengths without seeing the weaknesses of others. And we don't see the folly in the way without the strengths of others as well. So it's both ways. It is what it is. So. (laughs) Catelyn sucks. I mean, Catelyn does suck. Yeah, Uh, Catelyn. But her life sucks. Catelyn's not fun. She's not a fun character. She's a fun police. That was Catelyn 4. Um, sorry that we like went off on a tangent. But, you know, it happens because these aren't scripted podcasts. These are two friends sitting down to talk about a specific A Song of Ice and Fire chapter. And um, before we get out of here, I just wanted to remind you, we will be streaming. Justin will be producing the stream every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I know like a lot of uh, people that watch my channel aren't in the United States, and we tried to pick a time that would work for everyone. But um, do you want to let them know where they can find you at? Yeah, Top Shelf Fandom, and definitely, I think 2 p.m. right now is a good time Eastern, and these streams will be presented in a way for you guys that you can enjoy them after the fact. The engagement will definitely be necessary, and definitely um, we will embrace it, but at the same time, you're going to be able to watch this, and this will be informative, this will be entertaining, and I can't think of a better person to work with than Gray Area, because not only is she is a lovely person, but she's the most knowledgeable and passionate person. And that's what you want. And she's open to others opinions. And we want to hear your guys opinions. And we've got a road up to the house of dragon that we are going to pay for you. We are going to turn these roads of gravel into, I don't know what's better than gravel. I guess cement dragon, uh, dragon, Oh, road. obsidian roads. <laughs> I don't know what that does to your tires people, but uh, yeah, yeah. Get on it. Yeah, no. So I can't be more uh, happy to be a part of it. I can't be more happy to join you for a second time. On this podcast that reinvigorated me, this is like my five-hour energy for <laughs> for a sauna bicycle. I'm your Red Bull, bruh. Your Red yeah. Bull. But yes, our streams are going to be so in-depth with knowledge, but it's not going to be like a lecture. It's not going to be class or none of that. Like you already, you guys already know how I'm going to carry it. But I want to thank you for coming on, Justin, and I will see you guys next week.